The Apostle Paul was saved from his sins. He was saved from his sins, just, just like anybody, just like anybody. I mean, it, it was in an amazing sort of way. He was a Christian killer and then dropped him on the road and went blind and Jesus called out to him. But uh, he was in need of saving. He, he was in need of saving and God saved him. And I, I want to connect that this morning with you. You need to be saved. If you're not, if you haven't come to trust in Jesus Christ, you're stuck in your sins. And it's not that you can't live in your sins. You've been doing it for a long time, right? You, you've done it. And, and many of us here can remember the days prior to knowing Christ that we lived. And in some ways, we thought we were just fine. We, we were just fine. And Paul thought he was just fine. In fact, he thought he was awesome in some respects uh, because of what he had done. But, but God saved him. God saved him and gave him a new life. Gave him a new life. And when I say gave him a new life, it wasn't just a new life eternal. For sure he did. And for sure that was the most significant. But for Paul, for the apostle Paul, it sent him on a course of life with totally new affections, with totally new loves, with a, with a new agenda for the day, and not just an agenda, but, but uh, short and long-term goals. His salvation now changed what he did and what he didn't do, where he traveled, what he thought about his travel, what he thought about people, what he thought about people he knew and people he didn't know, and people who were saved and people who weren't saved. It changed his life. And my fear today as, as we go through this passage is that we'll go, oh, yeah, that was Paul. That was Paul. Yeah, he's an apostle. You know, that's one sent by God, you know. That's what that word apostle means. And we might be able to understand, y'all, this is at the end of the book of Romans. He's kind of tying things. We, we might be able to understand all that stuff, but to know that his heart was different. He looked at life differently because of the gospel. And I want to I challenge us this morning. Um, is your life different because of the gospel? It is not just that you know it, but that he, has he changed you to change the value of the life that you now live? The things that you do and the things that you don't do. Uh, this morning, I hope this encourages your heart um, as you look at Paul's heart. Um, I think there was a book I read or had to read or something like that in my studies, but it talked about Paul as being the one whose heart had been set free. And if your heart has been set free, it will change the way you live your days. And it changed the way Paul lived his days. If you turn to Romans chapter 15, and uh, I'm, I'm not going to read our passage this morning. I'm just going to walk through it. It's very long. Uh, that may have been my problem first service, um, but it might be my problem second service too. Um, but I want to walk you through this. And, and as we walk through these things, I want you to ask the question, what was Paul thinking? What was Paul feeling? What was he now doing because God had changed his heart uh, and how he was looking at the Roman church. Let me pray for us and ask that God's blessing on our time. God, thank you 
uh, for your word. Thank you for um, allowing us this time together. I ask that you would help us to hear clearly uh, your word. I ask that you would help us to understand the change that you brought about in Paul's life and that that same change you bring to the lives of us today. Uh, You change us from being ones who are stuck in our sin to those who have been set free from our sin and given new life and new hope and a new purpose because of Jesus. God, we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 14. Uh, We're going to look at Paul's pride and joy, verses 14 through 21. And before we get rolling there, I I just want to remind you, the book of Romans, book of Romans starts out uh, with sin, 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 right? This is all about sin, those first few chapters. And it's not that uh, none of us have sinned as many times as we could have, but we definitely have the potential and, and, and sometimes we think about sin and we go, well, I, I've sinned a ton, but it hasn't been the big ones, you know. I haven't killed anybody yet. Uh, I, you know, I haven't done anything that would put me away for 20 years to life. Like, I haven't done any of those type things. But what I want to tell you is this. As you look at that, that shouldn't comfort your heart. It should just say that you have great potential for sin, uh, and as we look at those first few chapters, he reiterates and makes clear that we are sinners connected with Adam and, and this idea that we have great potential for sin and sin can lead us to some crazy dark places. Can I get an amen? Amen. Some of you have been there, right? And, and God's been gracious to pull, pull you out of those. And others of you haven't been there and God's been gracious to keep you from those places. God's grace. And so what we look at here is the, the really the, the major themes is our utter sinfulness and our need for righteousness. And the only way for us to be righteous because we are unrighteous is to have Jesus Christ do the work that we could not do in justifying us and making us right. And this is the message to the, the church at Rome. The church at Rome was to be established, and there's one of the greatest teachings that Paul brought on the inspiration of God for this church, that they would be established and they would be clear about the gospel, their need for the gospel, but also the foundation of the gospel for the church. And so this is where we start here today. And and Paul is looking at the, the church and he says, you've accepted the gospel. Your heart was like that. And he's changed you to now be a different person that you might be a part of, a member of his church. Verse 14, listen to this. He says, I myself am satisfied about you. It's hard to think of that word satisfied, but as Paul looked at at the church at Rome and as he knew about even his own teaching to them and their, their gospel acceptance, he says, I'm satisfied or confident would be maybe another word, confident. And he says, of what? He says, confident about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge. Now, now when you think of the teaching of the book of Romans, it's not, your first thought does not go, ah, the goodness of people. When I think of Rome and the church at Rome, I think of the goodness of people. In fact, the teaching is quite the opposite. It's the badness of people. And in so being that bad, you know, knowledge doesn't flow from that. And yet 
what he's talking about here is this, I'm satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness and filled with all knowledge. Why? Because they've accepted Christ. Because they've accepted Christ, he's changed their life, given them a new heart, the Holy Spirit being in them, that he says something super important. He says, you've been changed. And being changed, you are now fit or you are able to do what? To instruct one another. Let me tell you this, church. I, I need to tell you this. Um, some of you have issues. I just wanted to say that. Uh, actually, let me say it differently. All of you have issues. Let me say that even differently. All of us have issues. All of us have issues. And as you think about this, the struggles of life, you say, oh, you know, I should go talk to somebody about this. But it better not be someone that I know. It better not be someone that I know. And you say, you know, I don't, I don't want anybody at church to know how crazy I am. I, you know, there, there's no one really at church that's gone to school for these things. And so they could never handle the craziness of my life, my issues. Let me read to you the Holy Scriptures again. Paul says to the church at Rome, he says, I'm satisfied or confident about you. Why? My brothers, brothers, we're brothers in the family of God, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge. That sounds like a good counselor, someone who's filled with goodness, full of knowledge, knows stuff, right? So much so that it says this, and are able to instruct one another. Able, able to instruct. Uh, someone has said, one commentator said many years ago, and I think it became a book, competent to counsel, competent to counsel. That we are, we are here and God has knit our hearts together. You know why? That we would help one another. That we would help one another. I know that sounds like a, a, a tall order, tall order. But I want to tell you that this is God's method. This is God's method that this would happen in his church. And Paul knew that it happened. He, he saw the transformation. He, he'd heard of the transformation. He didn't know the church at Rome that well, but he knew them by fame, but also through his own teaching to them. And he says, I'm convinced that you have this goodness, you have this knowledge, that you have been transformed, and now you're equipped to do this work. You're able to instruct one another. We see down in verse 15. Paul continues, and, and he's talking about his pride or joy. You think about his heart bursting, and as he comes to the end of this letter, he's, he's sharing his heart about them to them, okay? First of all, I know you're equipped. Secondly, he says this, I, I know I was bold with you, um, verse 15, but at some points I have written to you very boldly. Um, I don't think... I don't think Paul's apologizing here. You know, uh, some of us, our tactic is to come in on super strong and knock people over and then go, oh, I'm so sorry I did that. You know, apologize, but sorry, not sorry. You know, right? I wanted to do that, but now I didn't want to be accused of that. I don't think that's what Paul's doing. I, I think he's acknowledging that some of his words were, were difficult to hear, difficult to hear. And, and what he is saying is there were bold, I said some bold, maybe even hard to hear things as a reminder to you, but know this, 
that the reason I said them wasn't because I'm, I'm opinionated. It's not that Paul has these strong opinions and, and he just is a great leader, or all kinds of different excuses we use. But Paul's saying, I, I did this, I, I shared these things with you because of the grace given to me by God. God gave me this. Um, he says, he made me a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the, the gospel of God. And so what Paul's saying is, I, I said some hard things to you. I, I may have even spoke boldly, if you will. And it may have been like, whoa, that was, Paul, you don't know us that well. How could you say that? But he's saying, I, I, I'm sharing you with you a message from God. It's not about Paul. In fact, he, he uses this, this idea of a priest as being his role uh, before God, but also before the Gentiles, with the Gentiles. Now, uh, when you think about a priest um, or even a pastor or someone who's a mayor or a president or a boss, there's a position there. And, and I, do, you, do you remember, even as a, a child, maybe your mom and dad you know, took you into church and they said, now there's the pastor. And you as a kid go, oh, the pastor. You know, what does the pastor do? He prays. He prays. He's a big deal. I always think it's funny. Um, have you ever cussed in front of a pastor? It's pretty funny. Because the, this pastor doesn't, like, it doesn't shock me. It doesn't shock me, but it usually shocks them, right? I, I was reminded. I was reminded this last week. I, I used to golf with a guy who came to faith later, but uh, he would he would miss a putt. He would miss a putt, and he he knew who I was. He's you know he spoke like a marine because he was one, and uh, and he he wanted to say something else, and so you could just see the anger just flowing up in his mind. Just, like this, and he would say, turkey lips, you know, and I was turkey lips, you know, I've never heard of turkey lips, I didn't realize they had lips, but um, a, a lot of times we make a distinction, as they would have in the scripture, especially the Old Testament, the priest, the priest, but what was the role of the priest, what was the role of the priest, he was basically to help, help the people worship God, to facilitate that. It it was not that the priest was the big deal. It was that God was the big deal. He was the one to be worshiped. And it was that the the priest's success was not on his worship, but is on the the helping the people worship their God who was worthy, that the priest was not worthy to be worshiped, that God was the one worthy to be worshiped. And so Paul sees himself in a priestly type role, uh, and it's, it is interesting. He pictures himself as that, the, the priest himself being nothing, but the offering a sacrifice to God as worship. And what is this in these verses, verse 16, that is the offering itself? He says, verse 16, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles might, may be acceptable and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And Paul's going to talk about in this passage 
that he is fixated on not the Jews, but on the Gentiles who have not heard the gospel. Who have not heard the gospel. And their new life in Christ is so great. He's so fixated. He thinks of those dirty, rotten, filthy, pagan sinners. He's so fixated on it. He goes, I want them to know the gospel but I don't just want them to know the gospel. I want them to be changed by the gospel. So much so that he sees himself as a priest before God in that these Gentiles who were wicked and lost in their sin, lost in the cultural of sin, even in Rome, that they now would be the offering themselves acceptable. And there's a there's this thing that we, we miss sometimes in our own salvation. Uh, and I, we've been joking about it here, but like I, I shared with the men this last week or the week before, that um, sometimes in our sin, well, first of all, we forget the, the desperation of our own salvation, the desperation of it. And, you know, we, we were sinners, we, we were lost, and maybe we didn't sin as much as we thought we would, I hope you're listening. This is so important. Um, we, we were lost in our sin. We were lost. We were doing what, whatever we were doing. A lot of times we were doing what our mom and dad did, the same sins and the same sins of our culture and our neighbors and our kids at school and our, you know, our friends. We were doing all those sins. And God saved us. God saved us. And there's this funny thing that happens, this amazing funny thing that happens to transform us, to change us from person. And, and, and there should be a thrill to that, that, that we weren't even worthy, we weren't even worthy to pull the Lord's weeds. And now he, because of the gospel, he's changed us and transformed us that we could now serve him. That should thrill us. That should thrill us. And, and I believe that that's what Paul's heart was. And as he looks at this, he thinks of himself as a, a priest. And now he gets to works with, he, he's working with the Gentiles. And he says, now these Gentiles, these Roman Gentiles and others that have came to faith, they go from being rejected by God outside of his grace to now being a sacrifice to him that's acceptable. It's acceptable. There would have been a process through offering of sacrifice that there would have been an inspection. And as part of that, they would have inspected the the thing that was to be uh, offered. And it was either rejected or accepted. And really, the priest was just kind of trying to uh, do what God was seeing clearly. Is is this acceptable or not? And and really, the issue of our worship isn't whether... uh, any of us think it's acceptable, but does God think it's acceptable? And to, for a Gentile to say, for a Gentile to be one that was rejected because of their sin, because of who they were, now being acceptable to God. And, and the second part, sanctified. That word sanctified, you should think of holy, being made holy. That God would take something that was dirty, me and you, and now make us holy that we would be this beautiful sacrifice to him. This was uh, Paul's pride and joy. In verse 17, uh, and this word pride bothers me. I hope it bothers you too. I hope when you think of the, 
being proud about something or pride that you should work it back and go, why am I feeling this? Is it because I think I'm awesome? Uh, As you look at this passage, verse 17, it says, in Christ Jesus, Paul's writing, in Christ Jesus then, I have reason to be proud. And as you, if you stop there, you go, Paul thinks he's awesome? Paul thinks he's awesome because uh, of what he's done? Like that he has somehow made some difference in the Gentiles? But l- look at this. Look at the whole section here. In Christ Jesus then, I have reason to be proud of what? My work for God. Verse 18. Uh, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me uh, to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word or deed. I, I want to stop there and just say this, that, that this is a Christ-centered pride. The word pride could be translated boasting or, or bragging, but, but it's different when you're bragging about yourself or whether you're bragging or boasting about what Christ has done and you got to be there. You got to be there. I love that, that, that picture, you know. Does God need you? No. But there's this amazing thing that he desires to use and for us to be a part of his great work, his great work in the church. So he, Paul has a Christ-centered pride. You see it because he says, in Christ Jesus, the work for God And and he says in verse 18, he says, I have nothing to say but Christ and what Christ has said through me. He goes on to say, verse uh, 19, by by the power of signs and wonders, uh, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that at Jerusalem and all the way around from Alecanium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. It's interesting uh, when you see signs and wonders, that's a tip off for miracles, right? As miracles. And yet, as you look at the book of Rome, or the, the book of Romans, you don't see specific miracles. You don't see things that he has done, what Paul has done, and even referring back to what Christ has done. Uh, you don't see any miracles per se. But, but when I think of signs and wonders, and I wonder, like, what miracles is he talking about? I have a feeling, I could be wrong, he could have been talking about a greater sense of miracles. But, but what has he just spoken of? The change that's been brought about in the life of the Gentiles. And, and nobody could do that except for God. The, the uh, amazing thing that as you consider the Holy Spirit's work in the book of Romans is not really of anything other than taking a church, a group of people, from Rome, the biggest city in the world, and bringing them to faith in Jesus Christ out of their sins that they might be changed, transformed to be his people. Signs, wonders, uh, the work of the Spirit and the establishing of churches, the establishing of churches. I want you to get this. I I probably should have talked to you about this before, but um, who was Paul? Who was Paul? If you'd say, uh, tell me about that guy Paul in the Bible. You'd say, oh, I know about Paul. He's an apostle. He's an apostle. Or you could say, he wrote a bunch of the, the New Testament. He went on missionary journeys. Paul was a missionary. Or, or some would say, Paul was an evangelist. He's an evangelist. He shared the gospel and people came to faith. We're still good. Uh, all those things are true. 
But one, one man spoke to me, and he was ta- telling me, he says, you know, some people think of Paul as a preacher, a missionary, an uh, evangelist, but really what Paul was, he was a church planner. He was a church planner. You see, it wasn't just about a singular person who had come to faith in Jesus Christ in a point in time. Paul's desire was every place that he would go, that there would be a church established there. And his concern in the book of Romans is what? That the church is established in this monstrous city. That there's a gospel uh, outpost, if you will, in this city to reach that city. And those believers would not just uh, be believing, but that they would have a place for fellowship. I want to say something here. It's not in my notes. Uh, That doesn't mean it's good or bad. It just means it's not in my notes. Um, we have a, uh, met a young man yesterday. Yesterday, uh, you may have seen him around. He looks like he's um, Pacific Crest Trail type guy because he is. You know, he just. Uh, I have a friend who said, "Hey, my nephew's coming through." Anyways, um, he uh, he he shared with me. He you know you're texting and then he came in. And he says, I, I, "On the trail, as much as I can, if I'm around, I'd like to go to church on Sunday." I'd like to go to church. And, uh, you know, all the moms in here, what do they do? Oh, you know, I want my son or I want my daughter to marry a son like that. And, you know, you just go, guy wants to go to church. Uh, but but as, I, as he shared with me his testimony, and I'm not, I, I didn't ask him if I could share this, but I'm going to anyways. <laughs> but he, he shared with me, he says, you know, I... I Graduated from college, got a great job. I was working hard, making money. But, but I didn't get plugged into a church. I didn't get plugged into a church. I knew that's where I needed to be. And my life got filled with discouragement. And he says, I, I don't want to go back there again. I, I want to always be connected with the body of Christ. I thought about that and I go, sometimes we think about going to churches. I, I need to go because I need to get a star on my chart. I need to tell, you know, I need to call my mom and say, I went to church today. Like, like there's some kind of uh, point you get or, you know, credit in, in God's. And, but no, that, that's not it. That's not it. What it is, is that that's our place. That, that's the, the cry of our soul is to be with God's people. And, and it was for Paul. And I, I want to say it should be for us, too. You know, I think some, so often we forget about the worth of our salvation, and so we forget about the worth of God's people. We say, you know, I'm, I'm kind of busy. What are you busy with? You know, i got to cut my toenails, you know. I'm really busy. I just had a rough week, you know. I, oh, I just, I don't know if I can make it. Like, I, I want to tell you that, that if your soul has been changed, you, you would love and desire and, and yearn for God's people. I want to encourage you about that. And, and by the way, uh, if you're struggling at life, don't stay home. Don't stay home. If you're struggling at life, go to both services, okay? All right? Go to both services. Get our little card, and then you say, I, I know, you know, I got to go to everything this week. You know, I'll just go hang out in the church office if I need to, right? Uh, I need everything. I need it all because this is who we are. We're, we're designed for fellowship. 
Where was I? Uh, Verse 17. No, I'm sorry, verse 20. Paul was desiring to establish churches. This is what he was doing. And Paul shares with us in verse 20. He says, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where, where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Paul saw himself as the apostle, the apostle uh, to the Gentiles. That's who he was, and that's really his calling. And so as he, he thinks about this, he uses the word ambition. I, I think about how we use, you know, what are your goals? What are your ambitions? You know, you say, and, and you talk to your kids about them all the time, and you say, uh, you know, you, you're, some of you are kind of goal-oriented, and you're looking at your, your five-year-old, and you say, what do you want to be when you get big, Right? Say, you know, I, I want to do this. Okay, we got to get started on that right now. You know, you need, you need to get good grades in kindergarten because you won't get into the right college. You, you won't, right? We need to start training you because if we don't start training you now, whew, you know, the, you're not going to make the team, right? I, I, I want to tell you, we, we talk about ambition and goals all the time, but Paul says, this is my heart changed, heart changed ambition. What is it? He says, it's to go to those Gentiles who have never heard. I want them to know what changed my life can change their lives too. And so uh, we see his ambition. His ambition is what to preach the gospel and for those who have not heard. Skip down to verse 22. Skip down to verse 22. And we see Paul's heart, his plan, his partner's I think of this word strategy, and some of you are real strategic people, and like you don't start anything without having a plan and a diagram and you know a pert chart of steps and stuff like that, and you're you're really thought out. And I, I look at this as Paul, and he's sharing his heart, but he's also leaving room for the will of God. He also knows that there's going to be trials, and he also says he has hopes in all this. Listen to this. This is the reason why I've uh, so often been hindered uh, from coming to you. He uses the word hindered. Verse 23, but now since I no longer have room to work in these regions, he says, I've been here and there and I've done that. I've let people know and churches have been established. And since I have uh, longed for many years, I've longed to come to you. Paul didn't know the the church at Rome that well, but listen to these words. Um, I've been hindered. I, I've preached here, I've longed, uh, verse 24, I hope uh, to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped uh, on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Do, do you see this, that, that Paul's heart is like, I'm looking forward to seeing you, I'm planning on seeing you, I'm actually going to Spain because they, they need to hear, but as I go, I'm hoping to see you, and we're going to share sweet fellowship because of the gospel, because of the gospel. Hear that over and over again. Paul's not just making plans, this is just in a bucket list of uh, fun places to visit, right? He's, he's constantly thinking of churches established, believers encouraged, me partnering with you, you partnering with me, that we would be a part of what God is doing to establish these churches. Verse 25, at present, however, I am going to Jerusalem and bringing aid to the saints. As you look at how he pictures the gospel thing, he says, this is where I'm going. I'm going to go to Jerusalem to bring this aid. Verse 26, 
For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contributions for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. Verse 27, uh, for they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owed it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in the spiritual blessings, they ought, ought to be, uh, they ought also be of the service to them in material blessings. So, so let me give you a picture here of what Paul's saying. And he's talking about the gospel work, establishing churches, taking care of people and shepherding and people getting saved and now being a part of the church. And he says this, I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to bring a pile of money with me. And that pile of money is for those who are in need in Jerusalem. And what you see here is this, and he says, it only makes sense. It came from these uh, two cities. It wasn't from the two cities. It was from the believers in the two cities, right? Uh, That's where this offering came from. I know that because of the next sentence, um, because it says, for they were pleased to do it, these two city churches we're pleased to make this contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Why were they pleased to do it? Why were they givers? And it says, indeed, they owed it to them. Now, uh, when you owe money to people, why do you owe them money? Either for services rendered or they loaned it to you, right? They loaned it to you and it's only proper. Uh, if you don't pay your bills bad, right? It's, you, there's a debt on your side. And it, it seems as though that uh, Paul's saying they have a debt. They have a debt that they owe. And, and yet we don't have this connection to Jerusalem. We don't have it. It wasn't like those were their people. In fact, it, it kind of separates Gentile Christians from maybe Jewish Christians, okay? And why would one owe the other? This is what I think. If you look down at verse 27, for they were pleased to do it, and they indeed owed it. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also be of service to them in material blessings. And this is what I think happened. Macedonia and Achaia, just like people in Rome, Gentile believers in Rome, They came to faith in Jesus. And when you come to faith in Jesus, you're changed, you're transformed. And and you receive spiritual riches, spiritual riches. And it's that feeling that Paul had, I can't believe it. Can't believe it. I get to pull the Lord's weeds. I, I can't believe that he would take me. I want to tell you that uh, it's not because I'm the pastor here, but this idea of of Sunday morning, we should be so shocked that God would let us come to Bear Valley Church. That's the mark of the gospel in your life. Most of the time, we're not. We're we're, we're familiar with it. We're like, eh, eh. Wish they had a service that fit into my schedule. I wish they turned the music down a little bit, or for some of you, turned it up a little bit, right? Um, old-time rockers. Uh, but uh, we have this attitude that says this, that like, nah, I can take it or leave it. I can take it or leave it. But, 
But the understanding in Macedonia and Achaia was that they couldn't believe the riches, the spiritual riches that they now had. They were transformed. They were saved by the gospel. And so they found themselves to be rich. What do you do when you're rich? And, and this is where we struggle sometimes, is that we say, ah, I'm rich. I can buy anything I want. I'm rich, you know. I, I, you know, I, I, I've arrived. I can, you know, I, I like this and not this. And so I'm not going to do this. I'm just going to do this. I'm rich. But in Macedonia and Achaia, you know what they realized was that they were saved from their sins. They've been given new life. They've been given spiritual riches. You know what happened? Their finances got saved too. Their finances got saved too. I say it that way. It's not two separate steps, but they realized it, right? They realized that their life, they couldn't believe the riches that they had in their life spiritually. And they looked at the time, that, and this is what Paul did. He looked at the time that he had. He looked at the, the life and the days, and he said, I, I want to use it. I want to be a part of what God is doing. And so he looked at the days and everything, but these churches in Macedonia and Achaia, they looked at their money and they said, here, give it, give it to the struggling saints in Jerusalem. I want to be a part of that. It's interesting, too, that it was the Gentiles to the Jews. We're going to come back to that, okay? We'll think about that in a moment. We look at, uh, yeah, so spiritual blessings, material blessings. I, I want to tell you, for us, in the establishing of churches, missions work, reaching our kids, people in need in the church. We should be givers, right? Givers. Because you have a lot of money? No. Because you've been changed by the gospel. That's why we're givers. Because we've been changed by the gospel. Because we know what we, uh, Christ has done in us. We, we feel rich, and so we generously give. Okay, so I want, you to, I want to bring out one more thing about Paul's travel plans. Um, it's interesting, Caleb was talking about this in Proverbs. Uh, we are not in charge. How many of you feel really uncomfortable when other people are driving? I feel very uncomfortable. I'll admit that to you. You know, uh, It's not that other people don't drive, but I, I, I like to be in charge. You know, how many of you like to be in charge? Like, it's funny, in the Bosler family, um, we live like, like a half a minute away from here. And we usually have like five cars here Sunday morning, right? <laughs> I don't know how that works out. Like, uh, everyone wants to be in charge. Everyone wants to be in charge. Um, Paul, as he talks about his travel plans and what he wants to do and what he tried to do and there was all this stuff of like, yeah, but I was hindered. I was hindered. I hope to. I long to. I, and, and, and Paul's this, if you follow his life, he is a guy who gets things done, right? But what he acknowledges in all this is that he's just trying to serve the Lord, and sometimes he doesn't get what he wants. Just wanted to say that for you. Sometimes... Paul, the Apostle Paul, didn't get what he wanted. And so when you don't get what you want, 
and your plans are thwarted or whatever, realize that God's somehow working out his plan in your life as well. Come to the end. Verse 30 to 33. Paul's gospel believers, his people. He says, I appeal to you brothers by uh, our Lord Jesus Christ and by the, the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. So if Paul were here this morning, he, he would say this. I'd give him a moment. I'd give Paul a moment to share with us. Just a moment. But <laughs> that would be funny. But he says this. As I leave, as I leave, I want you to pray for me. And what should we say? Yes, yes. Yeah, some of you are a little slow on that. Or maybe <laughs> fell asleep on me. Paul, we will pray for you. And if you're thoughtful, what would you say? What can I pray for you for? And, and Paul really gives us two things, two things. I want you to hear these because these are important for us to understand the gospel ministry. The, the first thing he says is this. He says, uh, verse 31, this is my prayer. Would you pray? Would you partner with me in this prayer that I may be delivered from unbelievers in Judea. Delivered from unbelievers. Let me run on to the second one and then I'll come back to this one. Unbelievers in Judea and the second part, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. Okay, so so one that I'd be delivered from unbelievers and the second one that my service for Jerusalem would be acceptable to the saints. And I just say this, the first one is relationship with unbelievers, the second one is relationship with believers. Okay? When you're planning a church, when you're a church planner, who should you care most about their opinion? Unbelievers or believers? It's a trick question. Um, so, uh, many times, and I've, I've tried church planning in the past and it's very difficult work, but many times you go, you go and you say, well, what do unbelievers want in this city? And let's give it to them. And in so doing, if I give the unbelievers what they want, they will come to faith in Jesus Christ and the church will be established. I want to point something out. It's a subtle point. Maybe it's not even a large point. Uh, Paul's not praying that the unbelievers, uh, uh, that they would approve of his church planning goals. He's saying, protect me from those people. Do you realize how arrogant it sounds to the unbeliever when you want to plant a church in their community? Do you understand how that is? So so if I came to Tehachapi and I said, I want to plant a church in Tehachapi, and somebody says, why do you want to plant a church in Tehachapi? And I'd say, because of all these ungodly people in Tehachapi. can, Can you hear the offense there, right? For all these people who are living here, that they need to change the way they're living because they're doing life all wrong. You understand how that is? That was Paul rolling into really everywhere, but he speaks of Judea, the the greater place there, and he says, how do unbelievers, true unbelievers, respond to Paul, good preaching, and the gospel? He says, 
This gospel says you're doing it all wrong. You need to repent. I want to tell you there's a rejection. And rarely is there just a rejection. It's usually a rejection with persecution. And that's what Paul was asking for prayer for. He wasn't trying to impress unbelievers. He wasn't trying to impress people who wanted to reject the gospel. He was praying that God would protect him from them. But then the second part is this, that, uh, that he asked for prayer and he says this, um, deliver from unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. And who are saints? For those of you Catholic, old Catholics, you struggle with that one, don't you? I hate to break it to you. In the scriptures, the saints are anyone who's trusted in Jesus Christ. And they're saints before they die, but they're saints after they die too. And we don't take a vote on it either. God's already taken care of it, okay? He's made them saints. He's made them saints. Made them holy ones. The thing that hangs us up is like, how can they be holy when they're not? Uh, I want to tell you it's because of the work of Christ. That's what makes a person holy. So he says this. He says this. Uh, I pray for the, the reception of the saints. And, and, and I want to ask you a question. Why would he not be accepted by the saints? Why wouldn't God's people, as they see Paul coming, and even he brought a gift. He brought a gift. Where did where, the gift come from? Macedonia and Achaia, Right? And mostly Gentiles there, okay? So the Gentiles gave a gift, having been uh, changed by the gospel. They gave a gift to predominantly Jews that were struggling financially. And, And this is the beautiful picture, is that, and this was in Rome. We we looked at this the last couple of months. Gentile believers, Jewish believers, they're, they're in the same church, but they see themselves as different. They saw themselves as different. And what happens here in a gift, Gentiles to Jews, he says, I pray that they'd be able to accept it. I pray that they would be able to understand, to grow, that they might know it's one church. It's one church. It's not the the Jewish church or the Gentile church. It's the church of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, there's all kinds of distinctions that we can do, right? The old and the young, the rich and the poor, you know, from this ethnic place, you know, the south and the north. You know, I'm from northern California or I'm from southern California. It is different for sure, for sure. Um, But this idea that we would be united, that we would be united and there would be this acceptance of one another, not on the basis of uh, anything other than the fact that Jesus has done the work. All right, so last thing, verse 33, verse 33. He concludes this section and Paul's pouring out his heart and he says this blessing for them. He says, may the God of peace be with you all. May the God of peace be with you all. Um, He could have said a lot of different things, right? Could have been longer, right? Could have used a couple of different words. Why did he say peace? Why did he say peace? I don't know exactly why, but as I look at the book of Romans, the bulk of the teaching of the book of Romans is on sin. Is on sin. Uh, 
I, I want to ask you, how does, how does sin work itself out? So when you're, when you're young, younger, younger, and maybe, maybe you're in high school or college and you're doing your own thing and you do your own thing and you go to sinful places and you do sinful things. And unfortunately, we do have a memory, don't we? We do have a memory. And sometimes there's this, you know, if you don't deal with the sin of the past, how does that make you feel in the present? Guilty, right? Guilty. And so some of us, you know, we, we like to put another coat of paint on it, right? You know, there's mold and you just say, put three coats of paint on it, right? You just, and, or, or maybe the, the wood is rotting, it's termites, and just keep putting paint on it. it, it you know, I, I want to tell you that it's still rotten, right? And the, 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 the thing is still true. And, and that would have been true for them, and it's true for us as well. I, I think one of the things that... Uh, a sense that we deal with most is, is guilt, is guilt. And when we act out and we act more sinful, even after faith, why is that? A lot of times we haven't taken care of our guilt. We still feel guilty. And so how do we? And, and I want to tell you that the world has no answer for guilt. And no answer. They try to do the, well, I've done something guilty, I'll do something good, and it'll just cancel out. I want to tell you, that wears off. Just a moment in time, and then you go, oh, I still feel guilty. Why do I still feel guilty? Because your sins haven't been forgiven in Jesus. You haven't applied that to that. And yet, Paul knew the gospel. He knew that that those Gentile believers in Rome, those ones that had participated in all kinds of pagan things, either in the recent history, but even in the distant past, but he says this, you can have peace with God. May his peace be, be that, may, may, may you attain that, may you have that, may that be the thing that guards your life. May the God of peace be with you all. I find it interesting too that he says that to the church at Rome, and it's not that he didn't use the word peace with other churches as well, but so some of you think that we think in our mind, uh, you just moved up here in the last five years, and why did you move up here? You go, ah, the city. It's so, you know, crazy and unpeaceful, and like it, it's just a disaster, and I just, ah, I just had to get out of there. And you're feeling crazy on the inside, and you see crazy on the outside, and you say, oh, I just can't deal with it. But I want to tell you this. He told the believers in the church at Rome, biggest city in the world, that was super chaotic. He said, may the God of peace be with you all. Peace comes from having your sins forgiven in Jesus. It's not that you can fix what's going on out here, but you can have peace with God even in the chaotic Rome. I'm not asking you to move away. Peace from God in the chaos of Rome. God has a monopoly on what it is to have peace. I want to give you three things as we close our time. The first one is this. I want to encourage you to love and to treasure the work of God in your life. It's not a small thing. It's everything. It's not a small thing. It's everything. And for you to not look back and say, yeah, I needed a little adjustment. No, you didn't. You needed a transformation. That's all of us. Love and treasure the work of God in your life. Secondly, 
If you've come to faith in Jesus, I want to encourage you to think about your role now. Your role now. It's not just for you or for me to come to a service and sit on the cushy, grayish, bluish chairs that we have here and come every once in a while. It's not just that we somewhat participate. It's that we consider, what is my role right now? And it's different, isn't it? It's different. Uh, for those of you who are young, man, that, that has implications, right? You have your whole life ahead of you, and there's opportunities and things, and you're setting up life. And, and in so setting up life, I want to encourage you to say, what is my role in the gospel mission of the establishing of churches? What is my role? Where does God want me? How should I serve? For those of you who are older and, and maybe even retired, you say to yourself, what is my role? You know, as I realize time is shorter than it was when I was younger, what is my role moving forward in these last days of my life or these last years? Or I don't, We don't know, right? What is my role? See, Paul found his worth. He found his worth. He found his excitement and his joy in going, going to Spain and Jerusalem and in Rome. I'm to see you guys. I'm, you know, I'm bouncing around. This is what's exciting to me. It's as if he was talking, you know, as a kid talks about the, the dreams that they have. Paul was talking about his excitement and being part of the gospel mission. Lastly, um, Paul was looking towards the next one, and we should too. And we should see, see our, our role as part of establishing other gospel churches for the same purpose that God did in my life. This is a gospel church. This work needs to happen so that others might know. And there's other places that we should be excited uh, about other gospel churches, churches that love the Lord and will be established here in that place. I want to encourage you, uh, if you're struggling in life, that may be the problem. As you're trying to build your own kingdom and forgetting that there are churches and people left to hear the good news of Jesus. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for your church here in this place and what others have done and how you used others in the past that we might be able to enjoy this day. Uh, God, I pray that we would have a mind and a heart and eyes to see what you want to do in our lives and how you want us uh, to be, as Paul, excited about your church. God, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.